Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. I'm your host, Saul Moerte, back again to uh, have one of these kind of special podcast uh, discussions, um, looking at some of the uh, history of uh, some of the great films of yesteryear. And uh, being uh, 1981 was, like, as, as you're starting to uh, get familiar with now, hopefully, was a big year for horror. And we're cherry picking some of those ones uh, that are celebrating their 40th anniversary uh, this year. And we're going to charge uh, with a the first of two um, uh, Lucio Fulci films uh, that are celebrating 40 years this year. We'll talk more of the latter in another podcast. Uh, the first of them, though, is The Black Cat, which is a loose adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's short novella. In order to do that, though, I need to uh, invite one of my fellow surgeons to come on board and discuss this with me. And I have the delight of introducing you to my fellow surgeon, Dr. Richard Lovegrave, to come on board. Thank you for joining me on this one, Richard. He made me do it. <laughs> Hello, how are you going? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to have you. Good to have you on board. And um, and look, it's it's also good to have you on another Fulci one because uh, we mm. were just saying off record um, that uh, the last time we had you. Uh, to discuss uh, the Fulci film was um, the first of what was called the Gates of Hell trilogy, um, which was called City of the Living Dead. Um, mm. And uh, there are, um, this this film in particular is a bit more of a toned down uh, version of, it, of his films, uh, where he's uh, quite synonymous for, uh, or renowned, I should say, for uh, being quite, uh, his special effects being quite uh, confrontational. Um, in his subject matter and his style and substance. Um, but we will invite you back uh, to kind of talk about a bit more of the uh, the Gates of Hell trilogy because, uh, as we said, the, the uh, second installment uh, is also celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. More of that down the track, though, because we're here to talk about Black Cat. Now, before yeah. we do so, so those uh, podcast listeners are coming uh, who have just kind of stumbled across us and want to know what the shiz is. Um, the shiz, that's so outdated. Um, what the hell we're talking about? What What is our purpose? So we, we, we basically, as I said, we're, sometimes we talk about current films, um, but predominantly at the moment we're talking about uh, older films and we kind of crack them open, review them. Sometimes these films are watched for the first time. Sometimes we're able to watch them from a nostalgic point of view. But always uh, we come up with the end of kind of chatting around whether or not a modern cinema film goer would appreciate this film. Does it still stand the test of time and would we recommend it? So we'll, that's how we'll bow things out. Before we get there though, uh, I should ask you the question of how familiar are you with the Black Hat? As I said, it's it's named um, or it's taken from an Edgar Allan Poe novel, um, or novella, I should say. It's very short, about 13 pages long. How familiar are you with the story, and how familiar were you of were you with this film? Yeah, no. Well, um, I, I was aware of the Black Cat story from um, I think it was high school. I can't remember which year it was, but um, there was a collection of stories that I think were read out by our teacher, and um, mm. that one was was one that stuck out in my head um it was very short very concise but yeah i thought it was a really good interesting twist on a, a trope but since then have read a little bit more poe especially the short stories the novellas and yep. um find that that theme is is synonymous throughout yes it is i can't remember 
yeah, there's one where he leads a, a, a man down a corridor or a tunnel or something like that, and the short story sort of plays out slowly as he's going along down this tunnel, and he has no real concern for whether or not the guy lives or dies. It's just, <laughs> yeah, he's, he, the whole time he's going, I'm leading him down here to kill him, but I don't know whether or not to, like, you know, kill him or not. Uh, and it's, it's just an interesting take because it's more about the psychology of what's going through the characters that you're, you're reading about, whether or not you... Um, see them as a protagonist in the sense of you living out what they're doing and, and can justify it more or less just to think that unknown thought process that's going through their head mm. uh, and uh, uh, particularly because the ending of the black cat and its shortness um yeah was, was something that like the telltale heart it was just sort of stuck out and stuck true to the um the ideas um since then i always assumed there'd probably be a couple of films that were made about the um, the Black Cat, um, and, and since looking it up, I mean, there's the 1934 film, there's the 41 film, uh, and things like that. There's a 66 version, um, and then of course the the 81 version. But um, when coming across this, I was so interested to find um, and happy to find the lead actor from uh, the lead actor, sorry, being from A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, uh, Patrick McGee. That, that awesome. Yes. Yeah. It was brilliant. So, um, yeah, that, that was uh, enjoyable. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, an, an interesting thing to see it being put up to screen because it is a very hard sort of thing to adapt um, words uh, in, into a film. Uh, I recently looked into Richard Matheson, who um, was the yeah. screenwriter and the writer for uh, both the book Bedtime Return and uh, Somewhere in Time. Mm -hmm. And uh a lot of the time when books are done that way, they have to be written by a screenwriter in order to translate what is visually needed to be seen through to um, a, a visual medium. And for someone like Richard Matheson, he, he said he wrote in a visual medium, and maybe that's why a lot of his books have been adapted to films or, or are so popular. I mean, he also wrote, uh, what was it? The uh, I Am Legend, I think yeah. it was. I Am Legend, um, he did... Um... What Dreams May Come, um, A Stir, yep. Stir of Echoes. Um, so, yeah, there's a so whole, many whole bunch films. of like, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I can definitely get that. I like he's Even been, he was closely worked with um, Roger Corman as well uh, on um, oh, yeah. uh, another post up, so The House of Usher and uh, The Pit and the Pendulum um, mm. and The Raven as well. Um, yeah. I don't know, that might be that might be another one, but yeah. You could do a whole series about someone like Richard, uh, sorry, sorry, Richard, um, <laughs> Roger Corman. Um, Roger Corman, yeah. Because like you know, his biography is just insane, both like from producing standpoint, writing standpoint, acting standpoint. I mean, and there's so many things he's done, and you never really think of him as a household name. It's the same as the guy who invented the paperclip. Um, he made that up in an afternoon and patented. He, he never was able to afford the patents, or they lapsed, and so yes. like. He he never made a lot of money, but he was the one who invented so many of these little household things that you just take for granted. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the, the film of the Black Cat, like you know, with the Telltale Heart and, and all that. Yes. Um, even even with with Stir of Echoes, we just brought that up as a random thing that has a lot of those sort of themes throughout Poe, where you've got moments where it's the Black Cat in the basement. You know, um, yeah. the, the Telltale Heart is is in there. Um, like you know, and, and and again, it's 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 a lot of the adaptation, the idea of of um, disembodied sounds coming through surfaces. Yeah, that's right. And there's always, but it's always the subject of guilt. I mean, these sounds are the lead characters' guilt being kind of projected uh, through audio means to, uh, and they can no longer 
uh, you know, hide away their guilt. I mean, Telltale Heart is probably the most uh, most known mm. one. I mean, The Simpsons did a big riff of it with uh, Lisa Simpson um, yeah. as well. Um, I can't remember the episode, but yeah, it, people will probably recognize that that story more than any of the others. But it's always like yeah. Yeah, guilt, concealing crime, um, and thinking they've gotten away with it, but eventually being kind of, uh, con- uh, you know, it comes to the forefront, or their guilt comes to the forefront. And in the yeah. case, I mean, we are kind of a bit of spoilers here, but the case of this one is it's the Black Cat, the, the title of Black Cat is the one that uh, reveals his guilt, you know. And we'll get to how that happens. Um, but it's the track, it also, so. yeah, no, we'll, we'll get to that when when we get to that. But that, that's <laughs> um, it's it's an interesting thing. Just where I was bringing up Bridget Matheson, how the yeah. ideas of the content and the medium of book storytelling, as in telling stories written word that you read, is a very different thing from film. Film is showing a version of, like you know, of, of events from a perspective, whereas books really are an account which you can read and form your own perspective from mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the time yeah people uh, you know why don't they just make the whole thing of Harry Potter and and, and make because it would take years and they just <laughs> haven't got the budget to do it because yeah. people need to make money from it and so the the brilliance of, of the journeys that people can go on and I say journeys because it's plural every time you can the never-ending story you brought up before but it's that idea everyone will see the lead character of Harry or um, whoever yes. as their own thing and a lot of the time that's the self-reflection that we try and give those stories because we're living them out in our imagination and the only other time our imagination really gets to play is when we're dreaming or have those moments of, um, mm-hmm. of women fancy of creativity <laughs> um, which so often we um, uh, can get so yeah 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 no it was I was eager to see it because um, yeah it was not knowing anything about it but that it was based on that story i was honestly expecting it to be sort of a slasher flick and have an ending that was not going to be uh, as true to the book so um like you know i had my speculate my, my sort of speculations before going into it yeah um, yeah but. well like so look so I, I will quickly mention like so you did mention there was um a few other instances of it so you're right in that there was uh, a universal did a, a film in 1934 which had Bela Lugosi and uh, Boris Karloff and uh, Basil Rathbone as well um, yep. and but the story itself didn't really kind of well it, it, other than the fact that there was a black cat in it it didn't really have much um, connection with the original with the original tale yeah um, so it was only until the uh, Roger Corman did um, an anthology film called Tales of Terror, um, and that had Peter Laurie um, and Vincent Price, um, and uh, there's a yeah similar kind of thing that's loosely played uh, with that uh, storyline, um, and then we get. Uh, there's a few kind of radio productions of it, which you kind of kind of make sense. It lends itself quite easily to radio uh, in, the, in the narrative of this. And so then it wasn't until this film came out in 1981 where we uh, get a presentation of it. Um, and probably in its most closest to the, I mean, it, it's loose. It's not quite accurate, but it is loosely based on the post story. And it's probably the closest to that particular point. Um, in 1990, there was a film that came out called Two Evil Eyes, directed by George A. Romero, 
and um, who uh, did the first version of it, which was called both of uh, uh, Poe stories. The first one, as I said, directed by George Romero, which uh, was called The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar. The second one uh, was called The Black Cat, and that was actually uh, directed by Dario Argento. Um, and it had Harvey Keitel in the lead role for that one. Um, and it's really good. I recommend it. It's very good. Um, uh, so, yeah, so that's, I don't know if it's been, it's probably not really been brought up since then, other, other than kind of in stage adaptation bits and pieces along the way. So we're here to talk about the 1981 uh, feature, as we said. Um, and uh, I'm right in what you were just saying, that this was the first time you came across the movie? Yes. Yeah, cool. All right, so let's let's start dissecting the narrative, as it were, of what is presented on screen. And uh, so those, that, again, that aren't familiar with these discussions, this is general rule of thumb. We kind of go through the narrative and weave our way through it. So we tend to go off on massive tangents uh, on particular uh, moments, which is our want and is our will. And um, so do bear with us as we go through the ride, as we crash through this thing. So let's start putting this on the... Um, on the mortuary slab and having a look at uh, dissecting this one. So it opens up where, um, so we're in a very small English village um, and some weird kind of things are happening. We are presented with a man who is driving a car who suddenly encounters a strange black cat in the, his, in the back seat. And, Stop! Uh, and... Um, so through this, and so yeah, but this there's this hypnotic kind of thing going on. Like cats' eyes are quite hypnotic in of themselves, and are uh, I think it's Egyptian mythology. This you may be a bit more familiar with this one, Richard, but they oh, are bastards in Egyptian. Highly yeah, recognised, yeah. But uh, the whole windows uh, eyes are the windows of the soul thing they, um, is very kind of in connection with with cats' yeah. eyes in particular. So there's this this kind of hypnotic kind of uh, moments going on between the, the man and the cat, which goes on for a little while. Um, and eventually he, uh, the cat causes the man to crash his car into a lamppost and he's killed instantly. And then we get a picture of the black cat kind of just going about doing his business, walking along after that. So uh, this is the very first moment. Oh, you, you do that. Uh, interesting you're doing that sound. Did, did it strike you as Twilight Zone um, in the very opening of this? Is this a... Yeah, um, it actually reminded me a lot of sort of early 60s um, uh, English films, just the colour palette of the tone. Yeah, um, yeah and, and the brain of it sort of, and, and I don't think I was expecting it to be, I saw an English, um, like, you know, audio cut, so mm-hmm. I only noticed halfway through, there's not necessarily too much dialogue I picked up on. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was um, which, which is nice too. I like the slow burn um, sort of films when it's set up, and the grain and the dreariness of it allowed me to not expect it was going to be a lot of talking. It was going to be a lot of talking. I would have zoned out completely. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. There's a lot of atmosphere. Um, yeah, yeah. But the area, what was it? The hot fuzz town that he goes to. It, it yeah. sort of, sort of reminded me of that. So yeah, there was this this Silent Hill something on the horizon like yes well not even horizon but in the town like it's sort of like you know everyone's yeah. aware of it yeah. but they just don't talk about it um, <laughs> but yeah yeah i was even going to say with the um, egyptian mythology as well there's a lot of uh, different things i mean the eye of horus as well like you know there's a lot of representations of the eye of ra as well yep. there's a whole, the whole struggle between um what was it uh hathor and 
uh, set, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, set. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but also too, even in um, Picture of Dorian Gray, you've got the, um, the statuette of Bast, uh, mm-hmm. which is the Egyptian god for fertility, I think it is. Yeah. One of the ones they used to worship to try and bring the Niles to flood. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, because that that's in the painting, that's like some what the argument of the deal that he's making, and that's the bargain that's suggested in that moment, even though it's not really plainly put. Um, uh, and, and again, with the same way that uh, Poe writes, there's a lot of suggestion there with no payoff, and that's good. Uh, and it's sort of similar to what J.J. Abrams does, but started to do with the lost and never really paid off. He never yes. went to that next step. He sort of gave his idea of mystery box to a whole bunch of writers who didn't know how to mystery box. So they tie all these little knots all over the place. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Got one over here. Yeah, yeah I, um, I, I think I've mentioned it in previous podcasts as well, but it strikes me that um, when I watch these kind of uh, films that uh, there was a, a short TV comedy series called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Yes, yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. Um, oh, which that. is a big, big spoof on this thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I kind of always think of those, this, that kind of, I, I love that series so much. Uh, and if you out there have never seen it before, go check it out. It's got um, yeah. uh, Matt Matthew, Berry it in Matthew? it. Matt Berry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was and Ma- Matthew Holness is the uh, director, the main dude in it, but it's also got um, Richard Iodi as well. So oh, yes, a... fantastic. I haven't seen that in years, but I was yeah. even going to say recently they did, um, I think it's The Year of the Rabbit or In the Year of the Rabbit. Mm. Um, and it's uh, an English show, all, all the same sort of like, you know, dreariness sort of aspect set around the Jack the Ripper times, yeah. um, which is a lot of fun. And I highly recommend that if you can find that. I don't know where it's available but um it's highly uh, yeah that's Ma- that's matt that's matt berry as well that's as well as yeah anything. matt berry yeah and the, someone who plays um the elephant man john merrick is just brilliant he's an uh, over theatrical john merrick yeah yeah player. nice it's, yeah i think i've seen it i think i saw it oh you know i have seen it i've seen yeah it oh, was cool. very good it was very good i remember now mm. um Cool. Okay, so um, so with the black cat, so we've had this uh, one-off kind of killing, and then the black cat kind of uh, travels back home, comes to a rambling old house, which is occupied by a certain Robert Miles, played by Patrick McGee, who with the, ch- the chin down. Yeah. Um, yes, that's right. Um, and he's this uh, kind of a morbid, kind of hostile former college professor of the supernatural. Um, who's reputed also to be a medium. Um, Professor Miles lives alone, except with this kind of uh, black cat, and they have a, uh, a hate-hate relationship with one another. Um, but they have to live within. Um, uh, it's, it's symbiotic. Is that the right word? Um, kind of relationship yeah. with one another. Um, yeah. Yeah. They have. They both have to exist. Um, and uh, yeah, with one another. And so, and then we get um, here the reveal that he makes these audio tape recordings um, of tombs of the recently deceased, um, which sounds bloody brilliant. I love it. <laughs> I love yeah. the idea of just kind of going down into a crypt and just kind of trick, trying to pick up um, messages from beyond. And he's a yeah. believer that he can, or he can find a way to communicate with the afterlife. 
It's the um, sort of thing that you would expect to see on YouTube as in like 10 hours of tomb sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> it's it's got to exist. It has to exist. Yeah. Um, while you're doing that, I'll, I'll talk about the other character we're introduced to, which is an American tourist named Jill Travis. Um, now, she's played by um, Mimsy Farmer. Um, and uh, she, um, I'm just trying to look up now what she was in. Oh, she was in, um, why am I thinking she was in, a, oh, maybe it's a TV thing. Anyway, um, but a lot of Italian kind of based stuff, essentially, which kind of makes sense because of Fulci's yeah. name attached to it. Um, yeah. And yeah, so we're better inter- place to court Italians. <laughs> um, so we're introduced to her, and she kind of happens to just kind of go into one of these open crypts to take photos for her scrapbook. So she's a photographer, and she discovers this a small microphone on the floor of the place. And then when she comes out, she then meets a local police constable called Sergeant Wilson, played by Al Cliver also Italian, and he will crop up in the next Fulci film, uh, which we've uh, mentioned already, which is, uh, oh, I said mind blank, um, The Beyond. And um, so he, he comes back in that, and very dubbed in this, you can tell, very dubbed. Um, and he basically tells her, oh, don't, don't, go, don't go down in the crypt, what are you doing? Don't do that. Um, against uh, the saying that the dead, dead like to be left alone, don't you know that? Um, and, and that's right, they're not very hospitable, um, is his words. Elsewhere, we also meet another lady called Maureen Grayson. Um, she is a local go- outgoing teenager and her boyfriend Stan, and they're in a rowboat uh, on a nearby canal when, the row, uh, when they row to a boathouse and lock themselves in an airtight room so they can have sex. Um, airtight room, as you Airtight do. room, yeah. So they're taking that erotic association that's right. to the next level. But there's no yeah. windows. That's all right. There's, yeah. an, air, there's an air vent. Um, and they're trapped as... Oh, David the, Carradine jokes. <laughs> they're trapped as they as the room's air begins to run out. Um, and uh, they notice that the uh, air vent looks like it's been broken into. And they can't find the key. So they had a key to kind of get them in there. And they can't find the key. And they seem to be locked in this place. Um... Yeah, so the following day, um, we then meet uh, Lillian Gason, played by Dagmar Sander. Um, again, she's um, another uh, European actress. I think she's German, actually. Um, she um, was uh, apparently influenced. Um, a, there was a, a film came out in 2015 called We Are Still Here. And there's a character in that that's named after her. Um, so yeah, so uh, I was gonna say, um, as well, just before we go on, mm. no tomb sounds, but there's only uh, there's DD oh, yeah. ambience of catacombs. Oh, yeah, so yeah, just sort of like, oh, now I'm getting it, ominous whooshings. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm tempted now to start this up as a, as a trend. I'm gonna start my own tomb sounds. I think that um, sounds great. Just I go down there, like great. set up a microphone, and then yeah. come back just, after just, 10 hours. Just leave it. Just go right. A great idea. We're going to do it. You heard it here first. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you, you, you do ones where you like put them down into crypts or something like that. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, you have to get permission, but 
you know, I think that's it. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so just well, around. We haven't got any catacombs. Have we got any underground catacombs in Sydney? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to check it out. The term vault, um, I think, is the the just the hole that's that's dug down, the six feet deep hole. Yeah, so yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the vault, you think that it's it's like this brick building stuff like that, but that's a crypt. Um, yeah, so it's yeah, it's, it's weird because you get to those sort of technical jargon things, and it's it's. <laughs> I, I recently actually interestingly uh, uh, looked into um, the way people use language just with the recent um, change in uh, president in America. It was interesting to read about um, yes. the use of double talk and how that's used and uh, uh, how it's used like filibustering is pretty much what politicians use. But filibustering yeah, is yeah, yeah. a combination of extenuatingly like talking at length about similar things so that you can get to either a point of not answering the question or giving you enough time to find the information so that you can answer it thoughtfully. Okay. Um, but a lot of the time, uh, yes, they that makes sense for take the, bus, the, yeah. the easy one out by just not answering it because you know, <laughs> yeah. by that time you've sort of gone, well, a lot of time of my attention is gone or you've confused them enough. Yeah. Um, but the double talk was a, a term that was pine um, uh, first sort of like it wasn't the first one to use it, but it was, you know, put into context by George Orwell, I think it was. Oh. Um, and obviously about um, he's the Brave New World and, and that whole Big Brother uh, aspect mm-hmm. to it. But then there's also, because um, what that does is it uses jargon. So jargon is like I um, was talking before about a vault and a crypt. Um, uh, their, their terminology in which in a certain classification of study, they're known as something that we all collectively understand as vault is the you know, the dug hole in the ground in which you put a coffin into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or whatever. You could technically say that you make a vault to dig a catacomb out of, you know, whatever. Uh, but then there's gobbledygook, which is using as well that jargon to the filibuster, sorry, not to filibuster, to double speak standards, yes. where you're really just, just using the, the, your language to confuse. You're Nonsense. using all the associations of what the question was or what the mm. person was talking about to just make it sound like you're saying something that's coherent when actually it's just nonsense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was an interesting sort of parallel to just go, oh, okay, that's the jargon about those three classifications of how to use language. Uh, yeah, and it was really interesting. <laughs> cool. I like that. That's good. Little history lesson here from Dr. Love Group um, on, on, <laughs> yeah. on English language. Um, all right. So, uh, so, um, so as we said, we, we kind of meet uh, Lillian Gayson. Now, her relation is 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 that she's actually the mother of Maureen, the girl that we've la- just left, being stuck inside this uh, airtight uh, room um, of uh, boathouse, and. Um, She's calls the uh, police, uh, kind of basically saying that her daughter's disappeared. And we get a Sergeant Wilson who then calls up um, Scotland Yard and we get this introduced to Inspector Gawley, played by David Warbeck. Now, David Warbeck also will return in Fulci's next film, The Beyond, um, as well. So keep an eye out for him. Um, and basically, he comes in on a motorcycle and immediately gets booked for speeding <laughs> by um, Sergeant Wilson. Uh, upon the arrival of the police station. So, yeah, we get an idea that of the brash nature that uh, Inspector Gawley brings to uh, the quiet town of this English village, I should say, not the town. And um, then we cut back to Jill, who's still searching for the owner of this mini microphone that she found, and that's where she uh, encounters Miles. 
and she discusses uh, with who discusses with her the barriers of perception and how to escape them. He tries to hypnotize Jill, um, but is prevented from doing so by the black cat that enters the room, and which suddenly leaps up and scratches him along his palms. And then, mm. and then, um, and Jill's then able to rush off in a hurry. Now, there's a couple. There's something I was, again. I was talking off off uh, record with you about uh, just finishing Alistair Crowley's uh, novel Moonchild and the Occult. Yeah. Um, and there's similar things that I finally found with Patrick McGee's character with Alistair Crowley in this. Um, in that, you know, it's this kind of looking into the paranormal and this uh, interrelation with the uh, with the other world that's not part of our world um and yet this kind of uh use of hypnotism which kind of he this character Cyril gray does in moonchild um with the lead uh, with the lead feminine character in that as well um so yeah i suddenly uh, the two worlds were kind of merging a little bit as i was reading the book yeah. and this um well what do we think about that particular scene with the black cat coming in and look like the for, for the lack of gore in this film I mean that moment. So that made me wince because again, yeah. it's, it's such a sensitive area that we yeah. don't expect. And, and, and again, a cat's claws are such. They're like slicing. They're not. They're not. Um, they haven't evolved to be able to like tear through something like blades. Yes. What they're trying to do is grip, yes. like you know, and tear, like you know. And yeah, they've got a tearing quality, but like you know what. They, so the cheetah is the only cat that can retract can, that can't retract its claws. Um, oh. Having said that, that's date that may be dated information now. Um, <laughs> okay, but from when I was in Africa, Science I'm pretty evolved. sure. Yeah, yeah, it may be. Yeah, yeah, but I'm pretty sure when I was in Africa, that was the sort of um, the idea uh, with that. But um, within that, so what what they do is they they can climb trees, obviously, um, yes. and that's what one of the things that. Uh, allows them to get away from predators uh, in an evolutionary um, progressive stance. So um, when they're doing that, um, you, I, I instantly get the sense of this. You can see cats when they when they will do this to a tree and how they'll retract their claws in and out and how if they wanted to, they could like tear that down. So the question then becomes, why is he remaining st so? He would have to be supporting the weight of the cat, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of, <laughs> of tension against that. So I, I do like that with with especially cheaper or earlier makeup, um, w when there's that integration of performance and and intention. So therefore, it was for me it was so much more gory because he was <laughs> resisting against it. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and you saw it all tear open and everything, and it was so much, and 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 it wasn't. The performance didn't respond to how I would have reacted, <laughs> so he was a bit more like, oh, annoyed and concerned, and leaves yeah, yeah. going, oh, uh, this is going to take. How many weeks would that take to? Oh, the yeah, I, I have, I've, I have had the unfortunate um, incident of having a cat scratch me, and it, it, it does last. It, it's a painful. Yeah, thing yeah, yeah. I mean, it was on my palms. I think it was on my across my chest. Um, mm, yeah, but, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Even even the face. I mean, it gives you the idea the, the yeah. that that you don't use every day. You're not like mashing your face to to <laughs> make dinner or, or something like that. Your hands are so intricate in finite stuff. I mean, typing using your phone. I mean, uh, not this is the same time period, but um, 
yeah, so for, for me, I was just like, wow, it really raised the stakes with the lack of gore. And so I thought that it, that was quite good for it. I mean, yeah. not that that was what you were going to see that film for. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we, we've, we've come across Fulci before, and he has become kind of known for, like, the giallo kind of stuff mm. and, Ooh, and yeah. gore factor and stuff like this. And this is a very subdued version of well, his style. Comparing so. this to the beyond, I mean, yeah. from a gore factor. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's going to be exactly. a lot of fun to dissect. That, exactly. When we come around to that one, that'll be interesting. Okay, so, yeah. it, but this this the next sequence is is probably the most um, farcical moment of the film, where we get a local man named Ferguson who leaves the local pub. He's a little bit drunk, walking home, and he realizes he's been followed by the cat, um, which scares him into a disused barn, of which then he climbs up into the rafters to try and get away from this uh, cat. Locks himself in a in a the attic room, but then the cat is able to open the door um, and get into this uh, attic space. And so then he tries to escape along a beam high off the ground. At which point the cat then scratches his hands as he holds onto a beam, like he falls, holds onto the beam. The cat scratches his hands and he uh, plummets to his death on some pikes on the ground, uh, impaling him. And what I did like there's, uh, with that moment, as farcical as that whole sequence was, uh, what I did like is that there was, I and mean, this goes to show how good Fulty is, there's a moment just as a shot where you see the, uh, the uh, pikes on the floor, the ground, before it gets to that instant. And like I was watching it going, yeah, that's, that's going to come back in. You can tell that's, yeah. that's how he's going to die. Um, yeah. So it kind of really sewed that in. I like, I like that. Um, like a whole bunch of the first season of Fast Forward, the old Australian uh, comedy. Yes. And in that, there's a lot of sketches which they will, and, and it was just me as like a filmmaker going through and thinking, okay, so how would you film this? They've got like one takeoff of a dying commercial for like cats um, food. Uh, yes. Obviously <laughs> set up to be like he's coming home for his wife to cook dinner, and then he ends up putting dine out for his cat. Alone, so there was a lot of different ways that they were doing it. Um, but again, it, it, it made it, it, what they were setting up for each shot was like the determining factor for how the joke was going to play out because it's a little bit dated as well. It was easier to tell, oh, okay, they're showing this, so therefore this is going to be a payoff, or they showed the cat, so it must involve a cat. So sometimes they would use a shot of the cat. And it wouldn't involve the cat. You know, it's just an interesting thing from a film perspective because you instantly start to expect something completely different. And if your yes. expectation hasn't been met, you don't have the same level of satisfaction. You don't, whether it's dopamine, I'm not too sure, or serotonin, mm. whatever, but whatever chemical isn't released the same amount as that expectation is the same by saying, yeah, yeah. Then we saw the payoff. Oh, okay, cool. That's, that's better than. He fell. Oh, he could have fallen on hay. No, but he fell on pipes. Where did the pipes come from, from? Oh, there was something there. Mary Sue pipes. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing from like storytelling because it is those those steps. And whether you take a five step arc and an eight step arc and three step yeah. arc, whatever, yeah. it's yeah. always coming down to that same sort of thing of going. Well, the reasons why we do those expectations is because we know that the payoff is going to be far, far better for anyone who's watching, or the most likely to. Um, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah that's cool that's that's all good so um yeah so i i, I as i said it was a it was an incredibly the, the lead up to it was a bit yeah 
Um, but the payoff was nice, so it was, it was in that respect. So we get uh, Inspector Gawley, obviously he's on the scene at the moment, so he goes along and he invites Jill, the photographer. She happens to be the only photographer in the area. So he gets her to come along and take photos of the dead man. Um, as she's taking photos, she then sees the scratches on his hands. And that reminds her of uh, the encounter she had with Professor Miles. Um, and she's like, uh, okay, so is, there's a connection there. She's not quite grasped what it is yet, but she knows how is the cat at play here. Um, so she, um, at Miles' house, we get um, Mrs. Grayson arrives and we get this curious uh, moment where they're talking to each other through this crack in, the, in a wooden door. Uh, quite like the visual aspect of that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and it's revealed that, uh, oh, so she's telling him to help. Uh, she's basically, Miss Grayson's pleading with um, Professor Miles to help her find her missing daughter. And it's revealed that they must have had a romantic uh, involvement many, many years ago. Um, and Professor Miles reluctantly agrees to help. Um, and he holds a bracelet owned by Maureen. And this is where then he goes into a trance and he describes the boathouse. So you, this is very kind of um, typical of uh, people that have a, a psychic medium that are able to kind of connect, particularly through uh, something that is of value to um, to uh, somebody just deceased or, or missing to try and track them down. And he describes the boathouse, the location of the missing key. Um, at which point then the police then and Mrs. Grayson arrive at the, uh, at the boathouse and they find everything as Miles has said. They battered down the locked door, which has been locked from the inside, and this is when they discover the horrible decomposing bodies of both Maureen and Stan. Um, and the key was on the tarpaulin outside, meaning that it was impossible for uh, the murderer to get out of the room, uh, which was then blocked air, uh, through the blocked air conditioning vent because it was too small for a human to climb through. Um, I kind of missed a bit too. There's a bit. There was some point along the way too. There was a quick uh, shot back of the of the couple, and there's they're salivating like you know it's their the um, uh, you know because they're running out of air essentially. Thought that was kind of a nice nice little touch. And then we get the very typical uh, Fulci zombie kind of skeletal kind of decomposed body look of the remains of these this couple. Um, which was kind of nice scene. Then uh, that night we get the the cat is on the prowl again. It's stalking and it hunts down um, Mrs. Grayson herself. Uh, and uh, this is where a fire engulfs her house. Um, this is again a bit of a farcical moment where she's trying to put out the fire um, and accidentally gets caught on fire um, and uh, and then jumps jumps. A flame outside of a window uh, to her death. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, very, very funny. Uh, I don't think it was intentionally funny, but I found it funny. Jill goes to uh, Miles' house the following day and shows him uh, photographs she took of the scratches of the dead man's hands. She now believes that Miles exerts an evil supernatural influence over this cat. Uh, but Miles says that it's the cat who dominates him. Um, so this kind of power balance kind of struggle between the two. Um, that night, we then see almost as if like this is uh, true to his word or, or his, what he says is true. He then drugs the cat 
takes it. This is very. This is in very in line with the with the story at this point. Here, this, um, so he drugs the cat, takes it outdoors, and he hangs it by the neck from a tree branch. Um, and then supernatural forces are unleashed by the cat's death, which also hits Jill as she's sleeping in bed at the village inn. So this the room starts shaking. Yeah, everything is flying around, and the cat appears again before uh, before Professor Miles. Um, now a, a ghostly curse on the frightened, setting a curse on on Miles, who's really spooked out by this presence of the cat being just murdered, essentially. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it was, it was just nicely done in silhouette too, but you sort of yeah. get the impression that that's <laughs> that's a real cat hanging from a, a noose. Yeah, you know, um, which is unfortunately <laughs> being Italy in the yeah. It? Uh, 80s. Poor Mr. I mean, Tibbles. I know, right? Just hope that they didn't go through more than one. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not happy with the way the cat's hanging. Bring in Ginger. Uh, uh, yeah. Hanging, pussy. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this whole kind of bit happens, and then Inspector Gawley then pays a, a late night visit to Jill's room uh, to discuss with her the mysterious uh, flashes of light. Um, and occurrences that happened just an hour earlier because uh, she kind of calls him over. As he leaves, Gawley sees the creature himself, the cat, and he gets attacked and hypnotised by it. He, st- he staggers on the road in front of a moving car and gets run over. We presume he's dead. Um, he should be dead. Um, <laughs> but the way the car hits him... He definitely should be dead. Um, we'll leave that there for a moment. Um, <clears throat> the next yeah. day, um, Jill, uh, who still thinks Miles is the killer, sneaks into his house say, to kind of get proof uh, when when he goes out. And he's and she snips around his office and she <clears throat> excuse me and she uncovers audio recordings of the conversations with the dead. Um, so all these kind of tapes that he's been having. And then Miles suddenly returns home. And she runs to hide in the cellar, and that's where she encounters the black cat, which has magically appears and disappears before her eyes. The conjuring trick. Um, now you see me, no, you don't. Um, She's more than one cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. um, and then she runs away in terror, uh, and at which point she's cornered by Miles, and he tells her that the cat has picked up on his suppressed hatred for the village folk acting them out without his knowledge or control. So he's still blaming this cat for uh, the deeds. Jill then runs away, but is attacked first by bats in the cellar. We're going to pause at that point. This is such a rip-off moment of the birds with Tibby Hedron. It is untrue. Just want to get your comment on that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. But it's like, you know... um... I, I, whether or not it's paying homage to it as well, like you, know, you can see so many facets of, the, of that similar sort of technique. You know, yeah. films. But also, too, how do you film birds in real time and <laughs> not make them look terrifying? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in a close proximity, like you know, sort of thing, it's, it's hard unless they're very far away. But that's because the parallax effect of us and the light reaching us. Um, it's like yeah. if we saw a, a gigantic thing moving, we would see it going a lot slower and actually if we were right next to it, it would be going really quick. Well, at the yeah. same real time uh, comparison. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, um, I, I remember it's like, you know, the birds always having shocking sort of after effects for me. So I like, you know, I probably blocked parts of it out. Uh, <laughs> I like just that, that the birds and the cat are working together on this one. 
Yes, yes, this is probably a good, good call. I mean, I mean, it's, it's bats in this instance, though, isn't it? So it's um, sorry, sorry, bats. I, I yeah, my but but both both creatures kind of associated with uh, gothic literature, creatures of the night, and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. and very very Poe, uh, indeed. Yeah, but also too, I think it would be synonymous about disease. I mean, you've got yes, things, yes, things to spread disease. Obviously, wings and like bats have always got an idea of going. Yeah, if you're handling a bat, there's like rabies involved. Bat poo. Well, yeah, like bat poo alone. Like, mm. if you look at lorikeets, they eat a lot of fruit and it makes their poop stinky and dark and thick yep. and sticky. Yeah, it's gross. And the same thing happens with bats because they're pretty much on a fruit diet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and flying foxes as well. Sorry, I want to be um, genetically correct. Um, you know, yes. Flying foxes are technically not bats, but they're um, mammals and stuff. Um, they are. They are flying mammals, indeed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, so where, do, where does that leave us? So she's she's been attacked by bats in the cellar, um, not bats in the belfry. Bats in the cellar. <laughs> um, and then again, uh, confronted by Miles, who basically knocks her out with a stick. Yes. Um, oh yes. Um, you mentioned something before, which was uh, magic, and I just wanted to bring up the idea. There was a a guy who uh, did a magic show in uh, England, I think it was, and the theatre burnt down when he was doing it and he was going to perform a metamorphosis trip. And um, the, the theatre started burning down. Um, he locked his assistants in the dressing room, so unfortunately they burnt to death um, because he didn't want his secrets getting out because it was the time, I think it was the 1800s or something like this, and everything was about getting your, your act stolen or how you did the act. Um, yeah. Stolen, so yeah. Um, but he ran in to try and get his horse, and when he ran back inside, he died. They buried that guy, and then a week later, when they had finished the um, like you know, going through the theater and, and, and gutting it all out because it was all on fire, and they looked underneath the metamorphosis box or, or the transition box, and they found the same magician. And they were like, Oh, shit so he's the actual magician, and the stunt, the double was the one we buried. So they ended up ah. having this, yeah, this problem with going, oh shit, we've got, like, we buried the wrong guy. So yeah, it was an instance where it, 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 it was proof uh, and evidence to the fact that the metamorphosis trick, which was um, made famous by Houdini, um, yeah. and that was his name, he called the metamorphosis. Um, basically, as you said, going from one place to another, it looks like an instant teleportation. Yeah. Uh, or relatively like that. And m most of the time it would be done by either a double or some other mechanical pioneering thing, but majority of the time, magic is misdirection. So you might say it happened instantly when there might just be enough time in between and you're so excited because of music or whatever that you think that there's, you know, yeah, it's a manipulation of time and psychology. I think it's a really, really interesting thing, especially from um, stage combat point of view and the idea of, of, of fighting because, yeah, it's, um, it's something that not a lot of people do, but you've got to get the psychology of how you're yeah, yeah. currently in that. You can't be worked up and then go, now I'm going to apply this because you're just going to be <laughs> in the same state. Yes, um, I, I, I kind of reminded of Christopher Nolan's The Prestige um, with exactly yes. what you were talking about, which if anyone's so, uh, familiar with that film. Yeah. That was based on, I, I'm trying to find the video which like it, um, it went into his name, but I can't remember his name, but he was one of the people they based a lot of the story of The yeah. Prestige on. Mm. Uh, and I think actually The Prestige was based on a book. Yeah, possibly. I remember there was another there was another movie that came out at a similar time, wasn't there? But they had Norton yeah, in it as well. Losing this, that's right. Yeah, yeah. playing on the very uh, yeah, similar. And, and that film. was more about the um the the, the channel the the um the medium acts. Yes. Which did yes. Uh, yeah um there's a great video with Yuri Giller 
um, Chris Angel, I think it is. Yeah. And um, yes, Chris and, Angel. And, yeah. And a mentalist on stage <laughs> in like some popular America's Got Talent type of thing, and he does a mentalist act that is. Um, like he's channeling dead spirits from someone in the audience and he does it so emotionally that he's getting really worked up and, and it's something that at the end of it everyone's like oh god almost brought to tears but in a very heightened heart racing way yeah not, not a sort of somber beautiful moment sort of or anything like that where it's honoring people and um chris angel like, i'm pretty sure it's chris angel i'm sorry if it's the wrong person but ends up saying i have a prediction right here i'll give you a million dollars of my own personal money if you or yuri can tell me what's written on it you know and the guy who just did the performance he's already hyped up with his energy he just did his act where it was all about high energy yeah just yeah like starts chop like racing at him to try and start a fight with chris angel and yuri <laughs> Miller has to get in between them to calm them down and oh i thought God. that was a really interesting um perspective mainly from yuri giller yeah um, yeah he stands in between them and he tries to calm them both down because he's still he's a showman like the whole way so he's more like no 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 we've all got to get our paychecks sit down yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right that's right so, but it was it just it, there's so many comings of had something that was manipulation of the act where it was done to a i think negative perspective because you don't want to use people's you don't want to modify people's memories um especially about loved ones yes uh, and, and that that is doing it in a disrespectful manner. Um, that that also reminds me of um, Eternal Sunshine of the, uh, of the Spotless Mind as well, which mm, kind of that's the whole. Film. Yeah, I love love that movie. But that's the whole kind of exactly that you can't kind of alter people's thoughts um, or, or feelings yeah. when they're so embedded. Like they will always be there in some way, shape, or form, and will rise to the surface no matter how you try to manipulate them. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, always that question of um, was if you go back in time to change one thing, you'll probably end up doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all doomed to repeat our mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And most of the time, because it's perspective and hindsight is yeah. you know, that never that, that doesn't exist. Like you know, mm. I said we we get that option if we go back, we'll either regret it or it'll be you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So uh, now we're coming into the climax of the Black Cat. Um, this is where Jill then wakes up. She's bound and gagged, and she finds Professor Miles um, walling her up alive in a space in the cellar wall. Now, this again, lifting straight out of the novella, a Gallipo novella. Um, he's also taken her keys and emptied her hotel room, making it seem like she's left the village. However, when Inspector Gawley, um, who we find out has survived the car accident, he's been in hospital. Um, and uh, the other policeman and another inspector who's turned up um, on the scene basically uh, arrive at the hospital and he's just like, give me my jacket, I'm going to solve this. Um, and he's off on a mission to kind of resolve the situation. And he's just like, how the fuck did you survive? How the fuck are you walking? Um, anyway, um, suspension of disbelief, it's all good. Um, so we then, uh, so yeah, so we find... Um, yeah, he survived. He goes with Sergeant Wilson and his superior. Um, and first, they uh, they do go over to Jill's house, um, and they're like, "Well, if she's supposedly because all the clues are there that she's left." And I remember the uh, the other inspectors like, "Well, if she's left, then why are all her photographs still up on the wall? If they're so precious to her. She wouldn't have left them behind. You know, that's her career." Anyway, so the, the three of them then kind of go off to uh, Professor Miles's place um, and they kind of are, are looking for 
uh, signs of a cat living there essentially um, because based on uh, Gawley's being attacked by this cat and then I'm just I'm just here I'm just here for the pussy um, I don't know. <laughs> I just want to see the black pussy um so anyway so they uh they go they look around everywhere and they find nothing and just just when they're about to go all of a sudden the cat meows and they then find that there is a, there's noises come from the cellar they didn't think to check the cellar you know no. um but they <laughs> like yeah it's that i'm instantly kind of uh, i'm thinking of life of brian with the uh where the romans go in looking <laughs> yes. we missed a spot, of, missed a spot. You're weird. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so uh, they kind of go down there, and that's where they find the newly bricked up wall. And they break it down, they find Jill in there barely alive. And um, basically, the cat, which was incarcerated there without Miles knowing it, um, so the cat was behind the wall. And uh, Jill's is pulled out. Miles mumbles to Gawley that the cat has won and he has uh, fallen victim to his own evil misdeeds. So still under this illusion that the cat was behind it all along. All and along. All along. Doesn't he say the cat it made me do it? Yeah, the cat made me do it, I tell you. Yeah. Um, that's very Summer of Sam, isn't it? Yeah, the, oh, the yeah. Dog, the dog told me to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, sorry, Greg, great dog. dog. He's Satan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, you know? It, just, it doesn't get any better for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, He's come turtles. on. Turtles all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is something where I personally found that it, uh, it the book did it so much better. Um, yeah. It, just that the, the, not arrogance, but how calm he is, yes. how it, it, it doesn't seem like it's at all a problem. Yeah. Um, the inspector's coming through. He's like, no, that's fine. Everything seems fine. And, and I think even in the story, it, it says, as you say, there's no signs of them saying that there's any reason to think that she's there or that the cat's there or anything like this. And he knows he's done everything perfectly. Um, and then when the, the sound of the cat, I thought that was interesting because you don't necessarily get to see his reaction and his sort of reaction being sort of dumbfounded. Yes. Um, was was good. Uh, but, but yeah, it... it it felt like to me, even remembering it, I feel that moment dragging out so much longer than I know it was. I know yeah, it yeah, work. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I thought that was good because that's right. Yeah, they, they do it, and I imagine yeah, they break the wall down straight away, and I was sort of like, oh, for some reason I imagine that this this intermediate, but it's probably just his thought process when he's sitting there going, oh my god, they're not going to find it. Is it? Oh, I did everything right. How how could this be? I don't know. It was. Um, yeah, it was still good too because of the actor who was playing it. There's so much going on behind his eyes, and just him standing there and looking yes. at you is is something terrifying. There's an old film where I think it had a similar sort of actor, like you know, old sort of man, and it has uh, a character get cut on the hand and an eye forms. Oh I'm yeah, that sure ring. If I'm, yeah, I'm just. Why does that, that ring a bell? That rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 drowning someone in water with a stick like the, there's a point of view shot in the water and, and it's a character who looks like this guy yeah. and they've got like a, a, a wooden stick and he's pushing holding them under the water, or them under the water. that ring that yeah. really rings a bell and I can't for the life of me think what it is so listeners out there uh, let us know if you know what that, what that movie is because um, yeah, yeah visually I can see it in my head um, yeah 
cool all right look so the film kind of rounds out you've kind of cast the fact that yeah the, the, and, and i guess like if this has been the closest adaptation to to the novel um or you know it doesn't why hit the nail on the head but it does build up enough atmosphere and Fulci does kind of create this kind of story and, and owns his version of it his retelling of it I find um, I do find the more I watch of Fulci's films like I, I wasn't that familiar with this one I think maybe I maybe had watched it many moons ago and hadn't since um, I am more familiar with the what which I call like you know the Gates of Hell trilogy and Zombie 2 and all this stuff that he uh, went on to kind of create um, so I found it kind of interesting seeing this kind of very dialed down version of his style but you could still see there was style to this film um, and it kind of really played on the kind of Englishness um, the fog was a very kind of present kind of thing with it particularly there was a scene with McGee strolling around in a graveyard in the fog which was kind of nice um, mm. and pockets of this that was um, embedded throughout um, so I and, and I, I do enjoy Poe's stuff I've read quite a lot of his books so whenever I see something um, of his uh, on screen I'm like oh yeah I wouldn't mind even if I've watched countless versions of different pit in the pendulum seems to be one of what's countless versions of um over yeah. the years um but yeah so i was kind of um i was quite happy to kind of go down this line and so but the more i watch of faulty stuff the more i realize i i'm a quite a, i am actually a big fan of his style i do like his movies um yeah. so whether or not that comes with the nostalgic element you know I, i'm pretty sure that i would have watched this or a bunch of his movies during the time of that, you know, the video rental days and stuff, and just kind of hiring a lot of this stuff out. Um, yeah. And also, I I went to a university, uh, Goldsmiths University in London, so kind of like South London area. Had a great library, and uh, during my downtime, because the, because the video library was ex- extensive, and this was like we're talking back on VHS days uh, before digital. That's showing my age a little bit. Um, but I, I would like my downtime. I would like okay. I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to study today. I'm going to. I'm going to hit the library. I'm going to just kind of sit in in a very kind of small room, uh, no air ventilation, and uh, and suffocate myself, um, and and watch loads of videos, essentially of classic films. Like you know. So and I, I'm always grateful for that library because I, I I got to see a lot of the classics that you it's sometimes hard to get your hands on these days. And I'm pretty yeah. sure these kind of movies were, were among them. Um, so I kind of come with it with a great love of his stuff. Um, so I, I kind of guess pass it over to you for a moment to kind of say, this is definitely your second Fulci film. What do you make of him as a filmmaker at the moment? Yeah, no, I, I quite like his style. And also too, um, like, you know, um, spoilers next um, coming up because we're going to be doing the Beyond. And so just recently having a look at that. Yeah. Um, I really quite like his style and I kind of like how unique it is that yes. um, uh, where a lot of people would just put him into a gore, like sort of director. Um, his slow burn aspect, I think, is is the, the quality that makes it quite well. And so choising something like a uh, Poe's story for him to actually 
play with and and you know and, and not just 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 score off you know it's, it's going to be more accepted by more audiences and uh, yeah. especially from a literary crowd to give people points in that department um was quite good but yeah, yeah. No, i, I yeah, thought it was nice because it felt like you knew the story you weren't expecting anything to be a twist or anything to go oh wow it's blah blah, blah. but the performance and the intricacies of what the perspective was showing you i thought mm. was really and yeah. having a, a, an actor, um, not not just the, the lead actor, um, but all, all of the actors in it being quite strong, um, a couple with someone who wasn't sh- uh, afraid to shy away from showing certain things or upping the ante, yeah. because the yeah. subject matter in itself is pretty, you know, macabre, you know, um, burying people into the basement alive yes <laughs> yes that's right uh, so yeah I, I thought that was really interesting um uh, it was it's it, again it's, it's it's a period sort of piece too and it being italian from the uh, 80s it felt like it was earlier because of its pace because of its yeah it's got um, very that 70s enough. kind of vibe to it yeah, yeah definitely i mean we are talking very early 80s so it will a lot of the yeah, 70s yeah. influence stuff will bleed into this kind of particular um time frame uh, yeah, yeah. No, well, even as you mentioned, the pit and the pendulum is one that I, I think the same sort of way. It's like it, it's timeless in the fact that it always seems like it could be made earlier. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and even the last moments, the last frames of it, I think it's the last shot where in the Iron Maiden. The, just, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and again, that's sort of what play with me. Again, the idea of this same macabre burying someone alive in, the, in a wall, you might say, mm. might not be too gory or, or extreme for you. But I think the psychology of what the person inside the wall is going through yes. is the extremity, you know. And, 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 and again, oh. the same idea of going, you see the eyes and the, the Iron Maiden, you think now they're leaving and they're saying they're never going to come back. And she's yeah, just, yeah. You know, probably can't even say anything because of lungs are function hopefully should be dead soon yeah um, <laughs> the uh, so that, just just remind me like uh, the actual moment where um uh, she's getting jill is getting kind of uh, pending into the wall i i really love that shot where it's like the bricks are going in and mm. or the final brick goes in but you know the little kind of pockets of light where the uh the mortar and the clay hasn't been kind of patted in yet and we, you just hear that you know, that sound of the the metal against brick as it's packing it in, um, and yeah. the final lights kind of get snuffed out. I thought that was a really nice, nicely shot piece um, yeah. during that moment. So uh, look, so I mean, like it, the, we are lovers of of horror and gothic literature in particular. And um, so, and Poe obviously is one of the most revered kind of uh, uh, writers of Gothic literature. Is from a modern perspective, do, do you think his uh, stories still resonate with an audience? And with that, do you think then the Black Cat kind of will this particular movie will connect with a modern going audience, or do you think his um, his writing is is quite uh, stilted in today's comparison? Um, I don't know. It's whenever you look into the history of original writings, and I'm very big on trying to get as original as you can find. I mean, mm. if the original source is written down in like longhand on a piece of paper. Yep. I want to see that because there's certain information and inflections, or even you know spellings that people might have used as an assumption, especially when it gets to to the point of printing press time. Mm. You've got a lot of liberties that are usually given. So. Um, 
I I always think that yeah the reason the the reason is always bigger than the impression that we get when we're watching it in the present. Yeah. Um, poetry, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. Like you know, I remember reading that as a kid and going, "What? What's so good? It's special about it." And then as yeah. an adult, after researching um, different religions and stuff like that to learn about it, at the time, it was one of the most religious, secular texts. Texts, which like you know, was the next level of progression for you know mankind and and, and everything at that time. Um, so I think that even. The broader concept of what Poe does with his texts, even though they're similar, and even if you were to just say the great works of Poe, like we say through the works of Shakespeare, mm. you know, yeah, there's 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 definitely things there because it's like the uh, Lovecraft. I mean, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but no one can argue that the fear element of the unknown is present in our day-to-day lives, and that's yeah. what makes it the most scary, or, or not even scary on the the same sense that everyone has the same fears, but foreboding. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to. You know, look into the the, sh- the dark shadows in the corner of our room at night when we wake up at, uh, from sleep. You know, um, and Poe was one of the more conventional senses where he was able to tap into a broader um, spectrum of people purely because he he didn't. It was more about asking questions than answering anything. Yeah. And yeah. again, it starts from perspectives where, like, even the ra- the Raven. I think that was probably his most famous yes. one. Yes. Um, and where it was like this love letter to Lenore and his longing for saying that he, yeah, um, that she's constantly saying that more. Um, uh, but uh, no, I, I think that Poe's works, yeah, will be found because again, the good thing about the texts is we can keep them and let now. I mean, it's kilobytes of data like you know that we we have to retain i mean it's, it's not a big chunk and it's easy to go through in a weekend and see read all all, all the things maybe not a weekend but, you know but as in in a relatively short amount yeah. of time if you were to vote to it you'd be able to read everything even just once to be able to understand the overall tone that he has um, yeah but also yeah. to we have to take the perspective of with a lot of writers. We think that it's all about the art and it's all about what they want to actually say, either politically or, or from whatever perspective. But majority of the time, the only things that exist are the things that got sold, the things that got bought, and most of the most of the time, there is agendas lying behind that. Yeah, and yeah. We get someone who actually gets to say what they want to say, and that will be the thing that's funded or or shared around. I mean, even back to ancient Egypt, the amount of tombs and and. Uh, areas that are completely destroyed because of every time the pharaoh was the new pharaoh came about sometimes they would just say get rid of everything about the previous ruler and yeah, there was intermediary yeah. power rights well there was like um the priests of i think it was uh, akhenaten was in in power for a while there before tutankhamun mm-hmm. or, or um got into power and stuff like that uh, but yeah so you, you've always got this this idea of going like you know hopefully the art that survives will even if it's a glimpse into it, it's, it's enough to, to be able to see it. Um, so yeah, and it's spurred on other artworks. So like you know, I want to even say um, Quentin Tarantino. I can think of where he uses yeah. a lot of aspects. Uh, I mean, uh, and and Felci was obviously um, influenced by the stories because being a filmmaker, thinking visually. I mean, yeah. Poe's works are very visual, mm. even though a lot of them are set in the dark. Um, yes, which uh, is, is another whole uh, aspect to it. Uh, but something that plays on our fears and something that's played onto the ideas of, of universal fears because even the whole black cat thing is something that has been like you know over the ages i mean you've got um way back to the witch hunts from the salem 
That's right. Days and stuff yeah. like that, uh, which which really came about uh, again that idea of spreading diseases. So mm-hmm. a lot of the times we we call pigeons the rats of the air, but like ravens would be around things and they're omnivores as well, so they'll eat anything. And a lot of the time they'll eat rotting flesh, so they'll eat people who have died from the plague and stuff like that, and they then can transfer that over large uh, from town to town. So the mentality would be obviously that these black <coughs> ravens are a problem uh this would obviously black rats and uh, dark creatures and stuff like this and even going back into texts in the uh some uh islamic texts uh demonize black dogs by saying that they are the personification of the devil and yeah destroy yeah. Them and kill them and beat them and it's uh so it's this idea of superstition lying behind it for a a, a a better reason that now has been diluted you know because we haven't worried about clarifying that language but uh it's the same thing it's a that spread of spreader of disease and and i'm sure cats do the same thing because they're capturing the birds they're eating like you know yeah, scraps. yeah. They're, they're they're easily uh so they're not easy to contain mm-hmm. um but then you've also gotten just the same aspect like you know i didn't study a lot of asian cultures and so to find out that their cultures go way back earlier than some of the western stuff yeah gunpowder discovery of that i mean it's insane so in asia and uk i mean they're they've been lucky in life if you own a black cat in japan they find um love uh, you find luck um in love if you spot a black cat in parts of England, uh, a bride will have luck in her marriage if she receives a black cat as a gift. Yeah. Sailors will have a safe journey if they bring along a black cat on a ship, and I'm assuming that for rats as well. Um, <laughs> it might be because of that. Uh, in Scotland, you'll have um, coming prosperity if a black cat appears in the doorway on the porch. And in France, something magical is about to happen to you if you see a black cat. Um, not only that, but like you know, there's a whole folk- folklore of. Um, with a witch perspective i never got the idea of saying it's bad because i was going well, the witches use them or they like the witches somehow so yep. i always found the idea of the folklore of um if you cross a cat you've got to do something like you know as it's in theater it used to be oh what was it um oh what did you have to do? I, I remember what you had to do with it was it whistling or was it i don't know whatever rule it was that you couldn't break the rule in in uh the theater you had to Oh yeah, if you say Macbeth, that's right. If you say Macbeth, you're supposed oh, to. Oh yeah, the Macbeth one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to run around the theatre three times, then spit. That was right. the one I heard that I liked. That's the same. <laughs> uh, a guy who was um, uh, rather trained, a Royal Shakespeare Company trained as well. Um, got annoyed at me because I was whistling in the dressing room one day, and he was like, "No, you can't do that. You have to do this." And so I was like, "Ah, oh, cool. I'm down for." like you know learning someone's superstitions and finding yeah out yeah yeah thing is we're gonna do but yeah so it's just as interesting to think that as much as the stories as we think is the a, a negative connotation there is just as many positive um internationally and like you know and, and whatever mm. um, yeah. i don't know yeah I, regardless of the the color i mean uh, cats are gorgeous yeah yeah that's exactly it that's exactly it Okay, so would we uh, would we recommend this film to uh, a modern film going audience? Then do you think do you think it's still do you think it, some people might find it a little bit dated? I mean, you were talking about yeah. obviously the style that has their very kind of very slow kind of seventies kind of vibe to it. Do you find yeah. that people might not warm to that because of that? Yeah, I think that there's a number of aspects. Having said that, like it doesn't seem like the sort of film you're going to stumble across on like, you know, Netflix, you know. No. Gone are the days where it would just be like you would finish dinner and then the 8:30 movie would start. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would be like the night you sit down. So, um 
you, most of the time people are going to search these things out and unless there's some reference to it, i.e. the book that they found interesting and then they, mm. they go look at the films, they look at an anthology. I think that if you're doing that, maybe you might find a, a positive just because if you were looking for it from a story perspective based yeah. on the post story, this is the most accurate to that. And um, and still, I think, does it justice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. you know, um, because the, the book justice, just because it does stay onto the, the true terms. Um, of it, um, yeah. I, I think that in in terms of going, hey guys, let's watch this at a party or like you know on a such and such. I think it'd be a hard sell, and I especially think that yeah. well, I didn't. I did that once with shock treatment, and I don't oh, recommend okay. it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I was no, like, oh, that. you like Rocky Horror Picture Show? Well, this is the sequel. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it didn't go down well, but like, yeah, I yeah, it's it. everyone's cover tea. Um, okay, so, because that's a good point too, because there's not enough visual kind of moments. Like I used to, I used to really, really love um, having hosting kind of um, drinking sessions, for want of a better word, yeah. um, at my my place of abode when I was a student, mm. and I would deliberately pick movies to put on and project in the background. Um, at, but they always had to be like they'd be muted because we'd have music mm. playing but it always had to have some kind of visual component to it. So a lot of the early black and white ones would suit, like, you know, like your Frankenstein's, Dracula's, even Nosferatu and things like that, because they had that kind of visual component to it. Whereas like this, yeah, I'd find that this one would just get lost in in the, uh, in the, the noise of the music and you wouldn't really necessarily notice what was going on. So, um, because the atmosphere very much comes through from the uh, from the audio uh, of this film. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm, I do I do really like it, and I think having, as I said, re-watched this, it has made me appreciate Fortune. Just to reiterate what I was saying earlier, um, yeah. his work, and I think if you are aware of Fortune stuff, um, you may even that may may turn you off though because it's not in line with some of his more kind of hardcore kind of visual horror stuff that he's done yeah um, but I think but I, uh, knowing yeah. that it's a Poe story I mean there's got to be you, you'd go into it going oh okay now I know why maybe it's it's more contained or yeah yeah that's it um, I was going to say as well another film that like when we were talking about that that vibe of, of energy and, and the pace mm. uh, the recent remake of The Bad Seed was the same universe vibe like you know is in this sort of it, it, it's set in the silent hill world where it's like you know an echo of time that's existing on the same parallel universe or so you know this eerie air in the in in, in the world yeah uh, or, or even pet cemetery the recent pet cemetery sort of goes there in the uh, in, in the remake at the end of it sort of feels like it sort of goes into this world of it's just like oh yeah so zombies are living among us now <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but like coexisting um but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, there was something else there I was going to mention, but I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's the sort of thing of going from a studying perspective. I think you would find it interesting at least. It's not a bad film. It's a competently made film, and it's yeah. it's well made. Um, but it's just uh, in the current fast-paced world, it's not something necessarily you're going to have everyone appreciate it, especially if. if that energy isn't concentrated in the way of let's find and discover. <laughs> well, I yeah, and no, I completely agree with that. <clears throat> um, yeah, so look, I look, I, I enjoy it. I, even McGee's kind of over over the top kind of large and life performance. Um, I was more than happy to kind of um, uh, allow allow him to kind of have his superfluousness um, across the screen. 
um and i did enjoy it I, I i would recommend it but i do think it does come with that caveat of like you either have to be a fan of Fulci or or more so like you said the poe kind of element to see uh, an adaptation of this uh brought to screen um i find it quite interesting um but yeah uh, so that kind of i, I guess kind of nicely kind of rounds out our, our conversations on the black cat and Fulci's work do stick around for more uh, podcast discussions that we do across uh, the year as we delve into this as we say we are going to be looking at Fulci again a couple of times actually we're going to be looking at um, the beyond which is as we said this the second installment of the Gates of Hell trilogy and a little bit towards the uh, middle towards the end part of the year we'll look at his final installment um, the house by the cemetery which also came out in 1981 um, as well do stick around for that um, and a bunch of other ones that we're going to kind of throw in the mix along the way until then i'm your host Saul Muerte, and i'd just like to again extend my thanks for uh richard lovegrove joining me to discuss Fulci's work and pose element thank you very much richard thank you and always like to be locked in the wall <laughs> yeah that what you don't know is that yeah i have actually kind of locked in the wall um, and I will break. I will break down the wall at some point when I need break him again. Break down the wall. Break down the wall of doom. Okay. Until then, thanks for listening, and uh, do kind of check us out. As we said, we've got comments on this particular film or other versions of the Black Cat that you'd like to comment on, or even some of Fulci's work. Let us know what you think uh, on our usual kind of social platforms, either here on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Until then, thanks for listening from the Citizens of Horror Team. Goodbye. Bye.